Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. It's Monday, February 13th, 2023, and I'm in my Cape Elizabeth studio. Do you remember last weekend how cold it was? Negative 15, feels like negative 40, howling winds. Lots of people lost power. There was news everywhere warning people of the dangers of frigid temperature, and you can imagine how unpleasant it must have been for those guests staying at the Holiday Inn by the Bay in Biddeford, who were awakened by the sound of a fire alarm, so they had to march out in the cold in their PJs while the place was, you know, checked over and eventually they were lit in without anyone suffering any harm. Sounds pretty bad, except that some of the people, a family, a woman and her adorable two girls, If they hadn't been at the Holiday Inn by the Bay, they would have been in a trailer that had run out of propane and whose pipes and water had completely frozen. And that's where we start. Uh, This is a real story with names obviously changed to protect the privacy. But Jane, a hardworking mother, uh, works two jobs. Raising two kids lives in a trailer park that is a cooperative, and the cooperative was formed by a nonprofit. The nonprofit helped the owners of the trailer park to become a cooperative, and that means that every member who has a lot in the trailer park has the right to perpetually, forever, you know, in quotes, occupy the lot as long as they follow the do- the rules. And so the this nonprofit that is um, altruistic in meaning, wanting to help solve the problem of affordable housing and believes that these kinds of cooperative owner-managed arrangements are a good thing. Facilitated a loan from another nonprofit, and they set up this cooperative where Jane and her children have much to their dismay right now, a dilapidated and unsafe trailer. It was manufactured before 1970. It's about 58 feet long by 14, what's known as a single wide. And it's not on a cement slab. The windows and doors don't shut properly. The roof is leaks. There's just, it's a very dilapidated mobile home that is uh, to the point of, in my opinion, of being uninhabitable and no one would want to live there except if you had nowhere else to go. And that is the case with Jane. She makes enough money to afford to buy a new mobile home, makes too much to qualify for some of the very low income housing that is in the area. But the reality is, is there's no living there's no housing opportunities for Jane in the area where she works and where her kids go to school. And it's important because one of her daughters is in Kenny Bunk High School, which is a really good school, and she's doing well there, and she's a freshman. And and understandably, the family wants to stay in the community that they know, and their challenge is to just get a new mobile home. There's a lot that's available, but the problem and this is, you know, and this is what we're going to talk about is that all 
the programs that are on the table that look to be enticing for people like Jane to get in the housing market and solve the housing problem using the tools that are being offered by local and state government are just failing up until now. We haven't had any luck accessing any government program that has been advertised to help people like Jane who um, you know, have an old mobile home and want to buy a new one. It's just impossible to get financing because banks don't lend to people who don't own the land on which the mobile home will sit, which is everybody in a you know, a trailer park. And the cooperative that was set up didn't anticipate this, wasn't advised by the well-meaning nonprofit that helped them and encouraged them to do this kind of arrangement. So today is the day that I am going to meet with the cement contractor who we hope can install a foundation for the single wide, get an estimate. And the the challenge immediately at the get-go is that the banks don't lend against the cement slab. So the state law requires a new mobile home to have a cement slab. A cement slab has to be installed by, you know, a qualified person and, and meet certain state-specific regulations. The, the, the cooperative, while it has an incentive to pay for the cement slab, is not, you know, is not obligated to and doesn't want to because it's already invested a substantial sum of money on this particular lot that's available cleaning it up after the last person was evicted the the cooperative has invested on this lot it's available it's it's a good lot but the cost of the cement slab is the responsibility of Jane and the bank won't lend money for the cement slab so we're going to get an estimate and we're going to um then tomorrow meet with a banker and hopefully get a loan and finance this single wide home. And it's, and it takes so long and it involves so much time that, but for Jane having the assistance of myself as, you know, in real life, I play an attorney and used to do commercial loans and have thankfully experienced in real estate transactions, although I've never spent as much time as (laughs) on a, a mobile home transaction and and it's it's very complicated it's it involves a lot of time and it's it's a minefield that's practically impossible to navigate for uh your average person let alone a single mother who's raising kids and working two jobs so that's jane that's her real life she lives in a situation that is unsafe for her kids she has the wherewithal to change that and what is blocking her is bureaucracy and financing hurdles that just they that this, the end of the program, that the, the end game for these nonprofits that set up this cooperative, that the legislators who put in these policies to help people change their mobile homes, the local government that you know encourages the development of affordable housing in these in these mobile home parks, you know they just didn't get to this step of <laughs> how are we going to finance these um, these things, and and we're talking about a loan of say a hundred to one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. So very small loans that um, that are just sort of stuck, and I'm going to try to unstick it, even if it means going up to Governor Mills and speaking with her personally, because um, Jane needs a new home, and um, and so that's the real that's the real life affordable housing crisis for one family. Um, they had to stay in a hotel over 
the uh, cold snap, and it's a good thing that they did because the propane ran out and it hadn't. It, they couldn't get it delivered until after the storm. The uh, propane went out um, when we found, you know, went to the trailer following the cold snap. Um, Jane found her toilets frozen. Um, they had to have, um, you know, use hair dryers to defrost the the water and the pipes. Call the propane was turned back on. They're thankfully okay for the interim, but desperately waiting for new digs and and um, and so like fingers crossed that we can actually get this done. And again, just utter amazement and how complicated it is <laughs> to buy a mobile home and to install it in a mobile home park um, when th there's no conflict. Everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants Jane to have a new mobile home on this lot in this cooperative. There's nobody fighting it except there's just all this red tape. So that's the reality. Now the politics in my town locally, it's, it's just an interesting thing. It's an interesting juxtaposition for me to be in. On the one hand, really helping a person in a real life situation find housing that's that's needed for real kids, you know, a real family. And they would not have been, the, the housing that we were talking about in locally, the Dunham Court development would not have been suitable for this family. And that's why I continue to work on affordable housing locally. I committed to Ted Jordan students when I spoke to them last year before the referendum. I committed to the Cape Elizabeth High School students that if the referendum passed the way I wanted it to, which was to repeal the proposed zoning amendments uh, that would have enabled Dunham Court. If that passed the way I wanted to, to, and it did, that I would continue working on housing. And so here I am. But the fight is locally, in my view, just unfortunately, very political. It's it's turned into a political fight. And it's unfortunate that there's people who get involved in local politics thinking that it's not political and and it is and I don't mean the sense necessarily that we're talking about like Donald Trump versus Joe Biden or Republicans versus Democrats but there there's no denying that there are politics in local politics and so the politics in Cape Elizabeth are that we just are on the heels of a referendum about housing that defeated an, an amendment that had been passed by the town council. And now the town council has another amendment that it's trying to sort of shove down the throats of voters. And it's parading this amendment as done in strict compliance with the new state law, the new state law being LD 2003. And it's just, it, it's, un, it's unraveling and it's turning into um, a battle. And I am not going to take a hard stand either side because it's a hypothetical battle unlike the Dunham Court that was a real case in this instance it's like there's no real standing and there's a state law that passed 2003 that says towns have to comply with the new state zoning law the new affordable housing zoning law by July 1st of 2023 but the truth is that that that's not a hard deadline because if July 1st, 2023 comes and goes without any change to Cape Elizabeth zoning amendment. There's nobody that's going to sue the town. There's nobody that has standing to even challenge it. And there's often times when laws are passed imposing on government an obligation to do something that just doesn't get done. I'll give you a perfect example. The voters legitimately passed by referendum a law saying that the state 
is obligated to pay for 55% of education. Well, you know, I was in the legislature for eight years and every single year we didn't do it. You know, it was just, it, sure, there was a law that said we had to, but we didn't. And there was no consequence other than that issue being batted around politically. And finally, under a more recent Mills administration, they had the funds, the resources, and the political will to actually accomplish that. So getting back to the zoning, the state passed this law imposing on towns an obligation to change their zoning ordinances to comply. And in Cape Elizabeth, the Ordinance Committee has been working on an amendment and and the controversy that has pitted the town again, um, divided the town again, is between groups that have a vision of affordable housing that involves sort of an urban apartment building type feel to it, uh, driven by what they see as some urgency that we sort of have to just settle for this type of housing because there's an urgency and a crisis, and this is, you know, what the law says, versus people who want to do affordable housing in a way that reflects what they consider to be their values, and they resent the overreaching by the proposed amendment. And it's, and it is overreaching. It's, it's not, in my view, reasonable to expect people to accept at state value that the proposed changes are required for the law, because they're not. There is no requirement in LD 2003 the law that was passed, the state law, that says Cape Elizabeth has to change the definition of multiplex housing. Cape Elizabeth has to get rid of multiplex housing in our zoning ordinance. You just read the law yourself. It it doesn't say it anywhere, and yet the new local proposed amendment does that. And the original argument was by by the planner who drafted the amendment that this was intended to clean up, you know, the language, but it's just... It, it doesn't really pass the, 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 the straight face test that those changes are required by LD 2003. What makes more sense is that those are changes that are required to fulfill this vision that the planner and others have of the town somehow catching up with the rest of Maine, the, Portland, Scarborough, uh, these communities that are, um, you know, building these gigantic projects funded by public dollars and and touting their accomplishments as somehow you know righteous it it it's not that it, people generally believe that a better use of public dollars is to build housing where people can invest in it and take something out of it that there's some equity building in it to advance opportunity that the opportunity we want to present in our housing is for families who live in Cape Elizabeth who work in Cape Elizabeth moderate income families, and we want housing that is a quality of life to meet the beautiful surroundings and the public schools that we support. And that includes housing with doors and multiplex housing. There's evidence that multiplex housing is a subsection of multifamily housing that requires each unit to have an individual exterior door. And for a lot of people, that's very important. It's important to democracy. It's important to being a part of the community. And there's evidence that that's what it means. Multiplex means individual doors. And the Ordinance Committee has taken the position, at least some members of the Ordinance Committee, has taken the position that because they look at the pictures in the design standards contained in the Cape Elizabeth Zoning Ordinance, and the pictures of multiplex housing do not have doors, 
they infer, they say, therefore, multiplex housing doesn't require doors. But it's just, that's not the way it works. You know, that's just not the way interpreting a law works. Multiplex housing has a unique definition, different from multifamily housing. Multifamily housing says a building containing dwelling units. Multiplex housing does not say that. It's, it's, and there's evidence by consultants, by former town uh, counselors, that this was discussed, that multiplex, in fact, does mean individual doors. And more importantly, if you look at the housing that was created in districts that allow for multiplex housing, they all have individual front doors. So the controversy is over whether or not the new state law requires Cape Elizabeth to get rid of multiplex housing and re- and change the requirements in some of the residential zones to allow for apartment buildings. Like I said, there's no, there's no, there's no developer at the door waiting for this. This is just, this is just taken on now a, a, a world of its own. And, and it, you know, of course there are partisans involved in local politics. And so the Republicans see this as complete government overreach. They see this as, you know, um, a complete takeover of local control. So they're sort of fighting this, they're using the uh, the overreach that's around the proposed amendment to make the case that the whole law itself should be thrown out. And they're trying. The you know Republicans don't like LD 2003. <laughs> and uh, at least not all of them. And they're, and they're, so they're using this um, to sort of make the case that this is government overreach. And, you know, the, the Democrats, I, I think, on the committee are, are unfortunately making the mistake of adding, uh, like globbing on to an already uh, pretty big law, LD 2003, if they just got rid of this multiplex, multifamily argument. And this is, you know, that they, they would still have to do the work to enable the kinds of development that LD 2003 sets forth that I actually support. But it would mean we could only have apartment buildings in the town center district and the business A district, which is, I think, perfectly fine in Cape Elizabeth because there hasn't been a real need or desire for apartment buildings in residential zones. And people rightfully have a concern that the changes proposed will allow for the development of apartment buildings. And they, and that's a reasonable position to be in. And it's so silly that we're fighting over this because it's not required by LD 2003. And it just sort of brings up the the divisive issue that we just resolved at the voting booth, not only with the referendum, but the election of certain town councilors were specifically on this issue. And so my hope, this is what I would do if I was on the town council. I would, at the ordinance level, ask demand of the staff to create a alternative amendment that does away with this attempt to substitute multifamily in where multiplex was. Just just don't do that. And instead, do everything else that they have set out to do, which is to change the accelerated dwelling unit uh, from a conditional use to an allowed use. Um, but there's just no reason to, to go down that road. And I think if they have an amendment in front of them that just from the get-go doesn't attempt to upset the apple cart entirely. This is an issue that I flagged way back when. 
I knew, you know, you just saw the writing on the wall when this came out, like, okay, so now we're going to have another big fight. And this housing committee is unfortunately not doing itself any favors when the chair of the diversity committee gets up at every single meeting and has to make a statement, just feels the need. He has to weigh in on these issues and says things like, this is required by state law because it gives the appearance that, that he's not objective, that he's not open to the community's position. This is the community that just had a referendum for the first time in its history that overturned a town council-led ordinance. Because there's a real difference in the community about what affordable housing should look like. And, you know, so we could be doing things as a town to just do some affordable housing. And this is what I'm going to work on. I am going to continue working on developing affordable housing on the land that is owned by us, the town, that is north of the transfer station that was left by Thomas Jordan. And I'm going to schedule a site walk, the first of many, to have people walk with me, wear boots, on the trail that you know meanders through this public land. Yes, on one side, there is the transfer station, but guess what? There's acres and acres of beautiful wooded land that is right across the Spurwick River from a housing development, Colonial Village, that is multiplex housing, that is affordable housing, that works in Cape Elizabeth, that we could replicate, obviously modernize because of the times have changed and the landscape is different, but people can imagine a community of housing that is available and for affordable housing, that's available for families, that could be owned perhaps using a cooperative model, okay, one that involves a forethought for financing, I hope. So that's 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 where we're at. We're going to keep walking forward. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can do something about housing for real families like Jane's, okay, families with kids, no place to go where there are good schools and, you know, houses, homes to live in or apartments to live in that can accommodate a family. So we have the land, we have the desire and the will. There's no, at least not yet, divisiveness over the issue of community housing. It seems to be a concept that generally everybody gets around. And so that's that's the local politics that have to happen. I'm hoping the leaders of our community can see that, you know, read the room. Like, it, it's not about figuring out what you think we need. It's about figuring out what can we do that can bring people together and move the ball. So if it means just backing down on this multiplex multifamily issue, they should do it. You know, they should just do it because they're they're going to lose trust and they lose credibility by 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 pushing this notion that they're right, that this is the only way it could possibly be interpreted and that we have to change these two terms to comply with the law because that's it's just it's delaying the implementation of a law that was meant to provide opportunities for families. So let's keep focused on the real families that have real issues and not these um, sort of local local battles. I mean, St. Augustine, you might have heard of him. He was Augustine of Hippo before he was canonized by the Catholic Church. He's from like the 4th century. He uh, coined the Latin phrase... Um, Lobito dominandi basically means the lust for power. 
and it's you know maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into this but when I look at these local issues uh, that's that's you know a lot of what you see in, in these political battles is just people using whatever power they have whether it's in the bureaucracy whether it's um, as as an advocate whether it's in their job uh, just trying to just sort of push things through to uh, to control and it's um, you know it's it's hard it, inertia is powerful but it's we got to we got to change what's happening in our local politics and sort of focus on what can be accomplished not focusing on some sort of moral crusade that is um you know i don't know uh being pushed by groups and influence influenced by these national and state political winds i mean we have in cape elizabeth an opportunity to do some housing on land that we own. And the reason why that's a good idea is because since we own the land, the construction of the housing will be substantially less. Therefore, we can and we should develop housing that reflects our values, that can accommodate families, and that we can agree as a community provide an opportunity, not just a government program, you know, but actually allow for people to have housing, but also have an opportunity to enjoy the um, the, the prospect of, of the American dream. And so I'm going to keep working on it. This is the Politics of Housing Part 1, and we'll see after today. I'll let you know how Jane's project is going along. And stay tuned. Until next time, this is Cynthia Dill signing off. Take care. <laughs>